Nerd Girls Take on the World. I'm Mo. I'm Jen. And we're two women bringing you our take on all things geek, nerdy, and pop culture. Yay! <laughs> and there's so a lot to our... be talking about. Right? There's so much we have to say. We're opinionated ladies, so be prepared for that. Yes. So, one of the things that Mo and I have been talking about was that... Um, Part of the fun part of being nerd girls who are having takes is we have our best takes when we're drinking. And Mo, you happen, what are you drinking tonight? What are you drinking in your space in the world? So I just took a um, passion fruit sparkling water, just a little can thing I got from Aldi's, and I threw some gin in it, and that's what I'm drinking. You know what? It's quick and dirty, and I like it. I appreciate, you know, the, that kind of spontaneity and quick thinking <laughs> in these troubled times. Um, I personally am drinking an Allagash White. I'm a huge fan of the Allagash Brewing Company. They're out of Portland, Maine. Um, I drink pretty much everything that they like, that they make. And But the White is their wheat beer. It's like my kind of favorite go-to beer when I'm going to a party and they're saying they say bring your own beer i'm like well i'm bringing my fancy ass beer bitches so it's ellie ashway <laughs> and in case you need to know the difference between me and jen she drinks fancy beer i'm like what can i throw some liquor into <laughs> <laughs> don't be fooled sometimes i'm like what can i throw some liquor into <laughs> uh so jen what kind of nerdy things have you been doing now that we're all stuck at home uh we're stuck at home well as all of you who are listening to this podcast now know um it is we're in the an unfortunate quarantine right now the world is kind of gripped by this the coronavirus we there are sad stories everywhere um death tolls mounting it's it's pretty apocalyptic outside so I mean, I've been trying to keep my kind of nerd fair light and fluffy. I admit it. Um, I uh, I told you I've been I watched Emma for the first time last week, the uh, 2020 Emma. Um, and yes, there is a new Emma, and it's gorgeous. Which I didn't know about. I'm so excited because now I'm gonna go watch this brand new Emma. It's uh, stars Anya Taylor Joy, I think is her name. Um, she's a newcomer and she's brilliant in this role. It, it I, I love the movie. It's just gorgeous. The costuming makes you want to cry. Um, <laughs> it's just beautiful. The the it's so wickedly funny and at the same time so very Austinian. It's it's a gorgeous movie to look at. It's just fun. Um, I've also been uh, consuming some goodies, but oldies. Uh, you know, I watched uh, Three Musketeers the other day with uh, Kiefer Sutherland and uh, and Charlie Sheen. Like my sixteen-year-old self, my heart went pitter pat. I'm like, oh my god, I had such crushes on you back <laughs> in the day. Oh, yeah, so that was fun, and I finally, finally, finally watch Crazy Rich Asians. Only took me two years. But I finally watched that the other day. And um, and that was that was a hell of a lot of fun. That movie's just so much fun. And um, I'm looking forward to John Chu's take on In the Heights, which I'm a huge Lin-Manuel Miranda fan. So I'm going to, 
I wanted to see Crazy Rich Asians to see how he did that before I watched it in the Heights and kind of get an idea of how his take was going to be. And uh, I loved it. I loved every minute of that movie. Astrid got wronged. Astrid got wronged. I feel very heavily about this, but that's okay. You're you're ahead of me because I have not seen Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, you yet. need to see it. We, we need to watch it's... it together. It's so amazing. Um, so those are like the big things I've been consuming. I've been watching an old mini series my dad and I used to watch that was from the '80s called Winds of War. That was about World War II, and um, that's been kind of like hey you know comforting because i used to watch it with my dad that was me and dad thing and i remember when i was younger i was super into it because there's this this love story that's at the heart of it of these two characters of byron and natalie these star-crossed lovers and i and i when i was 16 i'm like oh this story is so good i love them and now that i'm in my 40s i'm like the fuck are you doing there is war <laughs> the germans are going to come into poland and you and she's jewish what are you doing why do you go to a wedding in poland when there's germans yes <laughs> so it's been interesting watching it now that i'm older because <laughs> it's not as romantic as much as me screaming at the tv going why are you doing the thing stop doing the thing <laughs> right it's always fun to like go back and watch stuff you loved as a kid and yeah. you're like what how did i how was i so entertained by this why did i love it so much <laughs> oh my god why are you doing the stupid thing that's so stupid why do you ever think this was cool <laughs> but you know what back in the day charlie sheen and Kiefer sutherland were pretty hot so <laughs> that i'm not gonna lie the three musketeers has a special place in my heart it's cheese yeah. but it's good cheese it's so bad but it's so good but it's so bad <laughs> right so um i've been uh, reading um my one of my favorite authors patricia briggs had a book just come out uh called smoke bitten and i plowed through that in like the first day that it came out and now i'm trying to go back and like savor it and actually enjoy the story because i just cram through it like oh my god what happens next um so i've been doing that i've been playing a lot of the sims because <laughs> i suddenly went hey i like this game and i have an abundance of free time now to be playing games an oldie uh, but a goodie yep so I, i've been delving into that a lot and then i also just finished picard which yeah <sighs> so good so good i i'm a huge next generation fan so Bringing that back was just awesome. It had all the feels and all the nostalgia. I mean, Next Generation was like mine and my mom's thing. Me and my mom and my sister, we used to watch Next Generation just every night. Every night we were watching Next Generation. And so watching Picard was just, it was good. It brought back all the feels. Yeah, a lot of my friends who are a huge Trekkies, of which I must admit I am not one, but many of my friends are, and for them, Picard has been all the feels all the time. They've been just gushing all over my Facebook and Twitter, and, and I'm happy for you. <laughs> I'm glad you have been enjoying it. I, I may watch it, just because I did watch Next Generation somewhat, um, but I, I, I get it. It's just, you know, it's like a warm hug. Yep. Um, which I think is a good segue into our topic today, which is test of time, because boy, it's Star Trek <laughs> with know, all right? the test of time. Yeah, like, um, so 
What we're talking about right now is stuff that has managed to stay around for a long time, be it a specific, you know, case of IP like Star Trek or even just ideas and various things that have stuck around. And especially now, I think our topic is a little more apropos of the times because everything's kind of up in the air and what's going to make it out of all this, you know, coronavirus shutdown stuff and what's still going to be around and what's going to be around but differently and... Yeah, I mean, what's yeah. what's the pop culture, nerd culture landscape going to look like when we come out, out of this, right? And um, so one of the first things I had on my list in terms of things that have stood the test of time, it, it's and I put it there because, you know, we don't think about it, but it's the idea of um, podcasts and YouTube channels. Um <laughs> And, and this kind of fit into a broader conversation about fan communities, because podcasting, if you ha- if you don't know, podcasting has been around now like 15, 20 years. Um, it's been around for a while now. And um, and some of the earliest podcasts had to do with, well, fan culture and uh and how and all of us getting together to kind of nerd on on certain particular fan things so i know i my first podcast that i ever listened to was um was i think this it was mugglecast mugglecast i think was the very first one that i listened to and uh was huge into mugglecast and um, the Leaky Cauldron, was that the other one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I was very, so some of the earliest podcasts I ever listened to were Harry Potter podcasts, because I, that was in that weird, that was that block of time between book four and book five, when it was like three years, and we were just jonesing <laughs> for something, anything Harry Potter, and we're like, oh my god, I might die if there's not something, like, now, and so how we all connected as fans was via these forums and on you know and through podcasts like like Mugglecast and and it's kind of cool I Mug Mugglecast I believe is the one that years later that same group would go on to do another podcast about Game of Thrones called Game of Bones and I also found that one was like this is a great one wait a minute I know these guys. <laughs> Holy crap! They grew up. When did they grow up? <laughs> you know, um, but it, this is like a fixture now. I mean, when I when anything new or pop culture comes out, the first thing I do is I go on YouTube and I go and find my favorite YouTube channels to see what they have to say <laughs> about it, and then I might find my favorite podcast and see what they have to say about it, and you know, or I go look at the forums, uh, you know, what have you. Right. I mean, well, and forums that's really throwing it back there because that's where my thing was i was all over the fan forums like in the late 90s or early 2000s i was i was the forum like oh my god what's happening i need to be in there i need to be in a conversation and i think that's one of those ideas that is lasting is this need that we have as fans to like gather with other fans and talk about our things and our theories and our who's your favorite and who do you hate and how did you feel about this and just who's your otp (laughs) right who do you ship Uh, who do you ship yes 
shipping, there was a big fan community. Because if you really want to take it back, look at um, the X Files. Yes, a huge fan community. That was my first fan community. Was X Files. I was. Yes. Old, I'm old school X Files. Like, right, and the whole will they, won't they, Mulder and Scully, yes, and they had a huge fan community. Yes, I was, I mean, when I say old school, I'm like mid-90s old school X-Files, guys. That's, right? that's how old school I am. Yes, um, so you gotta, I mean, look at how those things, or even take it back even farther and look at Star Trek. I mean, there's a reason why we have the term Trekkies, because the original series had people who wanted to gather and talk about this. And so they created their own community, their own way to talk about it. And they started having conventions and dressing up and doing those things so they could all gather and nerd out about this thing that they love. Yeah. I mean, and conventions in many ways, the the Comic-Cons, the um, Trek conventions, those are all mm-hmm. outgrowths of these fan communities that grew up about around these love of these IPs. This, uh-huh. this nerding, if you will, of, you know, and they, and they wanted to get together and create a community. But now, here, and this is a, a big conversation that we're having right now in the wake of this virus is, like, what is, what's that going to mean for the convention? Like, you know, conventions now, I, I'm fairly certain probably many of the bigger conventions this summer will probably be canceled or severely mm-hmm. limited because of the the coronavirus outbreak. So what is this going to yeah, look like, like? And when you look at the ones like Emerald City Comic Con and, and so many of the other ones that have gotten pushed back where they're like, hey, we're not canceling, but we're going to do it later in the year. How willing are people going to be to go? Because the last convention you and I went to, we went to together, um... LA comic-con it was crowded it was like jam-packed people you know yeah. it, it felt like we were you know sardines in a can were jammed up against all these bodies uh you know I don't want to do that right now no. even if they're telling us hey it's fine no we're good um I don't feel comfortable anytime soon going out and being in that mass of people yeah and no. how many other people are going to feel the same way yeah I, I mean yeah, I, I knew the minute they canceled South by Southwest, this was going to uh-huh. change everything. Because, I mean, South by Southwest is one of the big conventions every year. And I knew that, first of all, this makes it serious. When they're canceling <laughs> South by Southwest or Emerald City Comic Con, uh-huh. um, you know, it that kind of brought home to me, no, this is, this is coming, it's coming fast, and no, we have to take this seriously um and so I'm, I'm curious because first of all all these convention organizers are going to take a hit there's just no two ways mm-hmm. around it um but also too it um it it leads to concerns about the future like because this virus yeah sure we're going through a first wave right now but until we find vaccines and whatnot, it's going mm-hmm. to have the potential of coming back around. Um, how comfortable are people going to want to be in these big spaces, hanging out with each other, getting all yep. close into my my personal space and not social distancing? You know, because this this virus is dangerous. So again, what is this going to look like for the conventions? I don't know. I think it's too yeah early. yeah. I think it's too early to tell right now. 
Well, and then one of the things I think we can go back and look at is, um, you know, when things like this happen, it, it does. It changes the, the landscape of the world. Look at the um, world post 9-11. Uh, you know, how much has that changed? Our, how much? What's the new norm? You mm-hmm. know, so we go to the airport now and we're all ready to take our shoes off. That yeah. was not a thing pre-9-11. No. And now we're in there and we're ready. Everybody knows you got to leave to the airport two hours early because security. And this is the, the subtle ways, the ways that we've become so used to them. I think most people don't even stop and think about it anymore. Yeah. So, you know, how is this pandemic going to change the world? What's the new landscape going to look like? What's the new norm going to be once things go back to some semblance of normalcy? Yeah. I know, and uh, it, it, it'll it be interesting to see how this will affect um, our fan communities and how we get together. Mm-hmm. But until that time, we still have podcasts like this one or the other <laughs> right? one I happen to record, which is, uh, I'm going to do a plug for it. Um, if you're into <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade or White Wolf RPGs, go check out Podcast by Night with me and my friend John Long. Uh, where we get super nerdy on uh, our favorite RPG of all time. Um, but yeah, that that podcast is an outgrowth of a fan community, like, <laughs> in a big way. Um, this this podcast is too. So, um, so Mo, what was on your list about things that have stood the test of time? Um, one of the interesting ones that I, I kind of want to even talk about even more now is... Um, Comic books and uh, print media, like how is print media still going to be a thing? Like comic book shops, especially the small local mom and pop shops, they've been struggling for a long time now. Uh, Comic book print media has been struggling for a long time now. Um, And as of right now, the publishers, a lot of them, they're just not, they're not doing print media. You know, the, the most of the mom and pop shops, they've had a close. They're not doing print media because of the virus. So it's all digital. Is print media going to come back? Is it going to be able to come back? You know, um, my personal opinion, I think it's going to turn into more of a niche thing like vinyl, where it's going to be a thing where it's like they do super limited runs. It's only for the hardcore fans and they're basically just going to run all towards digital. I mean, DC has been throwing out like, why are we even still making comic books? So if that's already been the talk for a while, it kind of makes you wonder like, can they come back from this? Yeah. Well, I, I know that print media in general has already been slowly making that transition from being all print and physical based to being digital based, and mm-hmm. um, and with you with the ability to have a hard copy of something in your hands being sort of that niche thing. Like we'll do a limited run of these books because you want to have a physical copy. Um, but you can also access it on your Kindle or on your e-reader on your computer or what have you. And honestly, I think that's probably where comic books are going to be going. I I think, I think DC's is slightly erroneous in their thinking and that I think that comic books still have a storytelling use. People still like reading comic books. They just don't Mm -hmm. necessarily want to have to go to a store and pay like four bucks to have a little booklet 
to read when I can just yeah. go online and pay a subscription to like DC or Marvel or whoever mm-hmm. and read my yep. and read my favorite comic books and maybe then I get to discover some other new stuff. I think that's a much wiser business model and they've been moving to that slowly. I think that with everything happening, especially in terms of the coronavirus, um, because all everything's shut down. Our, our, our small restaurants mm-hmm. are shut down. Our small shops are shut down. Comic book shops are, are shut down right now. So are they going to survive this? I mean, because we are looking at, at the very minimum, six to eight weeks. But it could be longer before they, yeah. before everyone's allowed to go out. And are can they survive that? I don't even know. And I don't think most comic book shops are going to survive. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be really hard for, like, the the local mom and pop shops to really keep a revenue stream going and able to keep their business open. Um, especially when you consider how many people were holding out. You know, how many people were like, yeah, digital's a thing, but I'm used to doing this. So I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep buying a comic book. I'm going to keep buying a book. You know, um, my dad's an over-the-road trucker, and I got him an Audible subscription for Christmas because he's so (laughs) set in his ways. He's still going out and buying audiobooks and CD, and then he's coming home, and he's putting them on his computer, and then he's taking them from there and burning them and putting them on his phone. And I've been telling him for years, literally years, like, Dad, Audible is so much easier. Please just do this. Up until this point, he had not touched that Audible subscription. It was just his gift card was just sitting there on his desk. And then the other day, he was like, I can't go buy CDs. Can you teach me how to use this Audible? And so I taught him how to do it. And now he's like, why haven't I been doing this all this time? <laughs> like, I don't I know, know, Dad. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's been my point for years. Why haven't you? Use Audible. And, you know, now I don't think he's ever going to buy another audiobook on CD again. Yeah. So, you know, how many other of these physical medias, the same thing's going to happen. All these people have been holding out because they were used to physical media who now have to learn to use digital or they have nothing. How many of them are going to just keep doing it now? We we were kind of discussing this, the same idea in terms of movies and the film uh-huh. industry because... Uh, for example, I said I watched Emma. Emma is still a movie that is technically out in theaters, but we can't get to the theaters because yep. they're all closed. And so we, I watched it through, via digital streaming. Um, uh-huh. So many of the movies that were out when everything had to shut down, the studios immediately put them on for digital streaming. And I'm like, yep. you know what? Sure, I wanted to see Emma beforehand. Here's my 20 bucks. I'm willing to buy this movie to be able to see it. Um, it, it I mean, this this situation is fluid. We, I honestly mm-hmm. don't know what's going to happen, but I can't see many of these smaller movie theaters making it out of this quarantine alive. Right. You yeah. know, the small mom and pop movie theaters, I think, are going to go you know, the way of the dodo. And I, I mean, even the big chains like the AMCs and the Edwards Regal, mm-hmm. they're, they're all going to, they're going to take a humongous hit. So I don't know. Well, especially when uh, most movie theaters are struggling anyways, like movies have already become a thing that 
that's kind of it, it's hard to do like financially like yeah last weekend i went and bought onward because i wanted to watch it with my kids and 20 bucks is way cheaper than buying three movie tickets yeah so <laughs> you know i was like yeah i'll pay 20 bucks and it's not a thing where i felt like oh i have to see it in theaters you know um there are certain movies oh i want to see them in theaters because it's gonna be amazing uh, Avengers Endgame. We went and yeah. saw that together. Yeah. It was amazing. I and saw, I'm so glad I got to see that in a theater. Yeah, I, I saw, I, I counted it on one hand. Um, I actually, when I thought about it afterwards, it may have been one hand and two fingers, but I could name the number of times I went to the movie theater last year, and of those four of them was Avengers Endgame. Because <laughs> I wanted to, I love that movie so freaking much. And I loved, I wanted to see it on the giant screen with the surround sound, mm -hmm. with the audience and having all the audience there. I went and saw it on the Friday night of opening weekend and to t be there mm -hmm. with this huge crowd who were invested in this movie. The moment when Kat picked up Mjolnir and everyone <laughs> lost their shits. I mean, that sticks in my head. That was such an experience. Yes. But exactly. not every movie is an experience for me. Um, mm -hmm. I, I take for example, and, and and this is not to pick a fight, uh, and I don't want to touch on the the Marvel aspect of the conversation, but, you know, Martin Scorsese famously had an article that, well, he made some comments, then he wrote an article um, talking about the film industry, which, I mean, he had an absolute point, and I respect his point immensely, but... I kind of at the time was as I was reading it and going, yeah, he's right. I was thinking, well, he's right for a reason, because as much as The Irishman is this well-respected film, I was not going to pay 20 bucks to go to a movie theater to mm -hmm. see The Irishman. I was going to pay like 20 bucks multiple times over to go see Endgame <laughs> because it was about the experience of seeing Endgame as opposed to like hey, I'm bored, let me go see a movie. If I'm bored and mm -hmm. I want to see a movie, I can stream one on my couch with my, like, 63-inch monstrosity in my living room and still find it very enjoyable. But I go to a movie theater to have an experience. Yep. Well, and especially, again, with those fan communities, you know, it's not just seeing the movie. It's standing in line and chit-chatting with people and going and the in crowd costume. collectively. Yes, going in costume or even just wearing your merch and, you know, screaming at the, the cool moments and being like, oh, my God, did you see that? To some total stranger who's like, I know, can you believe it? I know. You know? Um, and it, it is just this amazing experience and it kind of does make you wonder, like, for me, at least for a long time, those have been the movies where I've been like, okay, I'm going to go to a movie theater first. Because even leading up to this, it was like, I can't go see every single movie in the theater. So I've already got to be choosy. Um, coming out of this, I'm going to probably be even choosier of <laughs> where do I want to, do I want to sit in a jam-packed movie theater with all these people Yeah, in this big old crowd for any old movie? For, yeah, especially given that right now, I don't want to be outside with a bunch of people doing anything. And, right. <laughs> um, and so it's like, do I really want to sit in the dark with a bunch of people and a potential virus um, to go watch any uh, a movie, a dumb comedy because I'm bored? Well, no. But, yeah. you know, if it is a big, if it's an event movie, yes, I will go and see it. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so I think then it kind of leads me to think of places like the Alamo Draft House, which I do watch a lot of movies at the Alamo, and both of us live in Los Angeles, and the model has been here for a while with Arclight and Alamo mm-hmm. and a lot of these different movie theaters of having those kind of niche experiences it's about going out it's not about going and seeing a movie it's you go to the movie theater and you can also have dinner and you can have drinks and you can sit in these comfy seats and you also happen to be watching a movie it's about the experience of going to the theater itself not just about watching a Mm -hmm. film yeah like coming out of this i can totally see the movies being a thing that only happens a couple times a year you know and yeah it's a big expensive thing now but we're not doing it all the time anymore yeah and i think that kind of goes into some of the trends we're already seeing in film and i think film is going to be around movies are going to be around Mm -hmm. tv shows are going to be around those are going to stand the test of time but i think that the movie theater the cinemaplex is I'm not sure that it's going to make it okay on the other side of this. It was already looking shaky beforehand. It's going to look worse on the other side. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and then um, another thing I kind of wonder is um, animation. Like animation's already been an industry that's been struggling <laughs> for yeah. a while now. Um, you know, animation houses are closing left and right. You know, and and there's lots of good animation out there. There's lots Mm -hmm. of good animation on TV, but are they going to be able to keep doing what they're doing or is it going to become that niche indie thing that where you don't see a lot of it anymore? It's just a little bit here and there. And yeah, well, it's funny because one of the things I did put on my list of things I've stood the test of time is animation, (laughs) traditional animation, um, particularly the adult-oriented animation, which has had a boom Mm -hmm. over the last, like, 30 years. But anime and manga are, like, huge, huge in the United States. Um, And I remember being very little, and, like, anime was just starting to be a thing in America. And so there's, like, these, like, 70s and 80s animes that I remember from when I was little. I was huge into... It's Matt Crafts in, in Japan, but I grew up as a little girl in the U.S. watching it as Robotech. I was huge <laughs> into it. I still, I own the DVDs. It's true. I love it. Um, but those, those all are, they still have a huge fan base. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of, you're right. There's this niche quality to it. I mean, it's not... It's not big enough, at least in America, to warrant having, like, films. Yeah, Yeah, and especially when you see where networks are, you know, um, they're already struggling with animation, and it is. I mean, uh, Nickelodeon, when the Avatar, um, Avatar The Last Airbender series did great, and then they had the follow-up, which was Legends of Korra, and then towards the end of that, it was just, they weren't airing it as much, it was real spotty, and then finally it just went to all online. Yeah. So when you have animation struggling with that already, um, you know, how's it going to keep up now? Or even more recently, um, you know, me and my kids, we watch Steven Universe. I love that show. Yeah. Um, and Rebecca Sugar is amazing. And but hearing her and her struggles of trying to get Cartoon Network to be like, no, serialized animation works. You know, it's this uphill battle for the animators to put out what they're trying to make. 
you know, when if the 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 networks were already being iffy about it, you know, how how much more willing are they going to be in the future to invest in this? You know, yeah, um, yeah. It, I I think that animation as a whole, though, still has a it still has a value. Uh, but again, mm-hmm. it's like what what's going to be a value on when and in, and what sort of medium and where are we going to show it? For example, yeah. now with the rise of streaming services like Disney Plus, um, mm-hmm. Netflix, um, I know that uh, CBS All Access. You know, you can uh, you can see you can just pay your whatever fifteen bucks a month be able to have access to it, sit your kid in front of it, and then we'll let them watch cartoons all day. Um, There is, I think, a little bit of concern in my mind in terms of animation of, like, what? how are we going to produce new and exciting things? Mm -hmm. Because I think right now, like, even looking at Disney+, Plus, I mean, sure, you have the new season of Clone Wars, um, which was about damn time, but... um, but a lot of it is like their stuff that they had on like Disney uh-huh. Channel and their old the backlog their backlog of their old 1930s and 40s cartoons and and nothing new i mean it's i find their 30s cart- and 40s cartoons great but there's nothing new so yeah yeah like um it seems like you know once like they canceled um Star vs. the Forces of Evil uh, they canceled. Um, oh my god! Uh, Milo Murphy takes on Milo Murphy. I can't remember the name of the show, but it's the <laughs> it's the one Weird Al did. Um, you know that one stopped, and the only like chatter I've heard about bringing any kind of animation is doing another Phineas and Ferb movie, which is great. I love Phineas and Ferb, but again, that seems to be Disney's thing lately, where they're just eh, let's not do anything new. Let's just return to our old properties and. Nostalgia. Yeah. Nostalgia. Nostalgia is the new name of the game, which don't get me wrong. I love nostalgia. I watch all those things, but at the same time, new stuff is good too, guys. Yeah, I know, and it. We'll see how it all pans out with the streaming. I mean, maybe they'll start mm-hmm. like doing like new animation, but admittedly, animation is expensive. And that's part of why we're not yep. seeing new animation. It is expensive. Yeah. But then you look at like Into the Spider-Verse, which is a work of art. <laughs> and sh- that is my favorite Spider-Man movie ever. <laughs> and it shows you the 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 lengths and the the length and the breadth of what can be done in animation mm. when you have people who are artistic enough and have vision enough and are passionate enough about something. Um, and those things need to still be fostered. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, for on the studio standpoint, when you compare the cost of Into the Spider-Verse to Spider-Man Homecoming, you know, uh, Into the Spider-Verse was significantly cheaper to make than Spider-Man Homecoming. And it did amazing. And, and it was really good. Though, though, in Spider-Man Homecoming's defense, I love that movie. So No, no, I like it, too. I love that movie, too. I'm just saying, because, I mean, I did not hear about Into the Spider-Verse until um, I went to the movie theater to watch something else. I think we were going to watch Aquaman or something. And they were having, like, technical difficulties. 
And we were like, oh, hey, look, there's a Spider-Man movie. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing that was being made because the studio had not marketed it very much. Yeah. You know, and then we I went and watched it and it was like my mind was blown. I was like, this is amazing. Why didn't I know this was the thing? I could have totally missed it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it really was by far the best animated film of that year. And honestly, mm-hmm. should have been up for best picture. But again, Oscars, when do they ever get it right? So, right. Uh, there's another thing that um, is the Oscars going to stand the test of time because that viewership is just going down and down and down oh. and, and people seem to just not care as much i honestly no <laughs> i don't know I, <laughs> I don't know um oscars i mean we see the hashtags every year oscars be mm-hmm. so white oscars irrelevant um and i sort of roll my eyes every year when the oscars come out because it is it is so far removed, I feel, from <laughs> the reality of what, what's out there. I'm like, who the hell is picking these nominees? I actually, because I'm a huge um, Screen Junkies fandom fan, um, mm-hmm. and I really respect Dan Merrill a lot on, um, uh, um, on uh, the different fandom shows. And... Mm-hmm. Um, he he had this whole idea of how to handle the Oscars that I was like, why don't they do it this way? Like, because the problem is, it's, there's a many fold problem of mm-hmm. um, the fact that so ma- the uh, we have been trained as an audience to see uh, the Oscars be Oscar uh, the idea of Oscar bait and the fact that movies that come out that fit these certain niche qualities like mm-hmm. they hit these certain buttons like they talk about race or they talk about politics or they talk about some sort of horrible thing that happened or something dramatic or da 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 so it hits these certain markers and um and they all tend to come out in the last three to four months of the year so between october yep. and december that's when oscar bait comes out and we know it and there's all these other amazing movies that get released earlier and earlier in the year um, that get overlooked because um, the Oscar buzz wasn't around them. Uh, and so it, it has to be a really good movie to come out earlier in a year to still be a contender for the Oscars. The Oscar, to be contender for an Oscar, all you have to be is a movie that came out between January and December of any given year. But yeah. we, as an as a, a viewing public, have been trained to only look at movies that come out between October and December that fit this specific niche, and these they hit these kind of like buttons, and those are the only ones we can ever think about for an Oscar. And then because they all are smushed between October and December, there's like five bazillion of them, and nobody can get to the theater to watch all of them. Yeah. You know? right. You know, if I mean, I still have to eat and sleep and work and do all these other things. I can't possibly watch all of these movies. And so there's movies that are getting just overlooked because people don't have time. And they're like, oh, well, I'm going to go hit up the movie that I know has gotten the most buzz. So I'm going to go hit this movie up because everyone seems to be talking about it. And when I get my Oscar ballot, I'm going to say, oh, that movie's on here. Yeah, sure. Let's choose that one. So I, I feel like there isn't. That, that this is a systemic problem 
in Hollywood. Uh-huh. And I agree with Dan wholeheartedly on this. It is, it is uh, it's a systemic problem. And I like his solution. His solution was, why don't we start treating the Oscars sort of like how you treat a, uh, a film, uh, like, film festival and have, like, committees that your whole job is you're the committee who's going to be looking at cinematography or you're the a committee who's going to be looking at looking at acting and everyone who sits on that committee your entire job for the whole year is to see as many of the movies that come out as you can and then you go and you nominate those movies you make your notes and then you nominate the movies that you felt throughout the year were the strongest contenders in those categories and then then and only then do the does the rest of the uh, voting body of the Academy get to vote because then it forces them to go out and watch the movies that you had nominated <laughs> that they probably didn't get to see. So that it makes this a much more open field because there were so many yep. movies like that didn't even get a sniff at the Oscars. Like Dolomite is my name. You know why? Oh my God, that movie was amazing. And that didn't get at that didn't get a look at at the Oscars. Yep. Um, I mean, there's so many that was I expected to see on there, and they didn't like nobody paid any attention to them. And that's not to take away from Parasite. I think Parasite deserved all it got, and I I think it's amazing Parasite even got as far as it did because it came out much earlier than the oscar bait season and just happened Mm -hmm. to get a re-release and because it had this huge buzz around it people are like parasite um but honestly like there it was not the only one there was a bunch of other really great movies out there that just did not get a mention yeah and then i feel another problem that the oscars has and they do this with like both best director and best actor and things like that is it's somebody's turn like, this person has gotten ignored. Leonardo DiCaprio. I think he's great. I think he deserves an Oscar. Did he deserve one for The Revenant specifically? Uh, I don't think so. I don't feel like that was his best work, but I feel like the Academy was like, oh, you know, it's it's kind of Leo's turn, so we better give him one this year. Yeah. Well, and I kind of felt like with Joker, not to take away from Joaquin Phoenix, I think Joaquin Phoenix yeah. gave a tour de force um, performance in Joker. Um but the movie as a whole, not great. Was not a great mm-hmm. movie. I'm going to say it. You can at me and I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I give <laughs> no fucks. Um, this is my take. And Joker was not a good movie. Um, it's, it, it, that's, and again, I mean, you can have an actor be a very good actor and give a very good performance in a very bad movie. Um, I mean, look at Masters of the Universe. <laughs> <laughs> but, just to name an example um but it, yeah I, I sometimes feel like there's just movies or people that they feel like well we have to give it to them because mm-hmm. either they are a respected actor who's never gotten a nod or we have to give it to the movie because people went and saw it and they uh, even if it's not a great movie uh, yeah um and uh, you know I, I, I wish that the Oscars just was, it, 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 I mean, it suffers from a lot of problems. I mean, I, th- <laughs> I think Bon Joon-ho kind of called them out 
in a really real way, and I appreciated him saying it. The Oscars are a local uh, award show. We act as if the Oscars are this big, they're the pinnacle of the film industry. Yeah. If you win an Oscar for Best Picture, that's it. You're just the best film in the world for that year. But it's not completely true that it's the best Oscar for Hollywood films and films uh-huh. and films Hollywood chooses to to recognize. And yeah, exactly. Because um, uh, Americans don't like to read subtitles. Because yeah, <laughs> Americans apparently don't like to read subtitles. I'm like, oh my lord, what? <laughs> When's the dub version coming out? <laughs> yeah. when, when are they going to dub over Parasite? Oh my god. Oh. Yeah. So, um, are the Oscars still going to be relevant? Are they going to stand the test of time? I really don't know. I mean, they're coming up on a hundred years old. Um, <laughs> film is changing massively. Yeah, I, I and it, and they've always been a sort of Hollywood insider elite pat on the back, like, hey, haven't we done a good job this year, guys? They've always been that. I mean, they've always yeah. been that. So I don't know. I I, I don't want to. I kind of am on the fence with them. I. I, will they be relevant? Maybe. Maybe they can reinvent themselves. Maybe they can remember to put all the people who deserve to be in the remembered <laughs> memoriam section in there. I can't believe they left Luke Perry out this year. I'm like, Luke Perry was in a movie that was nominated for an Oscar and you guys yeah. left him out. Like, seriously? So, honestly, I didn't even watch the Oscars. I didn't. Um, I didn't either. I, I checked Twitter and I was like, "Cool, that's the that's the outcome, huh?" And then I kind of went, I, "I just, I don't care." And I wonder how many other people just don't care. Like it's a, oh, the Oscars just doesn't matter anymore. Like I don't. I followed it on Twitter. Really, I was much more invested in like Cynthia Revo's like performance. I was like, "What Cynthia Revo's on there?" <gasps> I'll go check that out later online. I think I was at Disney with with. Vanessa that night. <laughs> I think I would. Although, when I heard the Taika Waititi one, oh! I was very happy for him because I love Taika Waititi. I love Taika Waititi, and he deserved an Oscar. So, and honestly, did. I laughed so hard when he was in his seat and Brie Larson's across the way filming him trying to figure out what to do with his Oscar. He's like, "Where do I pin <laughs> it? Where do I keep it? I'm going to shove it in the front of the seat in front of me. I don't know." <laughs> I'm like, that's that's me. That would be me with an Oscar. Like, what do I do with yeah. it? I don't know. Yeah. But Yeah. He's uh he's amazing, so I love Taika. But yeah, I, relevance, who knows? We'll we'll see if they stand the test of time or not. <laughs> right? Luckily we have time to figure out where yeah. all this is going. I know, right? Um but one thing that I felt that did stand the test of time is uh, video games and tabletop games and RPGs. <laughs> so especially when we're all stuck inside the house right now and we can't go anywhere and we can't do anything, what are we going to do? Well, I, you know, I can only watch so many movies before I'm like, oh, my God. I need to like. I need some social interaction. <laughs> I need some social interaction. How can I do it without actually having to see your face? Okay, <laughs> let's play some games. 
Yeah, and thanks to technology, it has become a lot easier. Um, you know, RPGs, role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games. Um, that These have traditionally been an in-person thing. Like we all gather around and we play our Dungeons & Dragons or our Shadowrun or our LARP, which is how Jen and I met. Yeah! At a Vampire the Masquerade LARP. Yes, uh, we did. Takes place in the White Wolf universe. So, you know... All of these are in-person social things, um, but luckily the technology is there where now we can still do these things. You know, you've got Discord, you've got Roll20, you've got, you know, all these new virtual things so we can keep doing these things that we really like to do. Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, I know I grew you and I both kind of grow up grew up with video games and RPGs sort of mm-hmm. being like the thing. Um I I don't think I've known a time in my entire life when they weren't the thing. Um I, but I want to kind of hone in on RPGs, role-playing games for a second because that was the one where I was young, I was very little, and Dungeons and Dragons had kind of was growing in popularity and then all of a sudden you had these like very religious conservative like southern baptist groups or methodists i don't know who they were they were evangelicals (laughs) and they're all like dungeons and dragons is satanic it promotes the occult and they and they're demon worshipers and at the time i was probably six or seven uh, I was like, oh, that doesn't sound good. You know, like I'm, my dad was a Southern Baptist minister. So I'm hearing this going, oh, oh, I don't want to mix up with those people. You know, people who play Dungeons and Dragons, they obviously think that Satan is cool. I don't want to deal with them. <laughs> Whereas I remember, I remember that being a thing, but I remember being less worried about that and, you know, being more worried that like, People would think I was weird. Yeah. If I played these tabletop games. I mean, I remember being in high school being like, Desert of Dragons, I would never play that. Only weirdos play that. Oh my God. (laughs) You know? Um, And now, as an adult, I'm over here like, so when are we having our next gaming session? Because it's been about a week. (laughs) Yeah. I know um, I'm having one tomorrow. So. I know. I so my the, the first RPG game I ever played was actually Vampire the Masquerade, which is hysterical if you think that I was afraid of playing D and D because of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're playing in the world of darkness. And now I'm playing in the world of darkness. And my last vampire character was a vampire mage nun. Um, who was who was kind of scary actually honestly she was really scary um but yeah that my first rpg was vampire the masquerade because at the time too it was mid 90s and like vampire the vampires zeitgeist had just kicked off and i was very much like ooh, vampires are so sexy so when i found out there's a, a a a urban fantasy like vampire rpg i'm like oh i want to play that i bet you that doesn't have anything to do with satan uh, <laughs> no it's just kane just kane yeah just vampires who are eternally damned i mean i mean that's different that's, that's different from satan <laughs> they're much better Oh my god, yeah. So and I and that was my first crack and um that was twenty five years ago and and I've been playing it ever since. Um but 
I mean, honestly, RPGs are kind of like the big thing now. Like, I, there's people mm-hmm. who in a zillion years I would not have expected it. And they're like, oh, yeah, so I had my D&D game last week. And I'm going, wait, you you play D&D? They're like, oh, yeah. And then they, right? they talk to me about all their characters and stats. And I'm like, I'm so not interested right now. Thanks. <laughs> well, I mean, even if you look at the LARP we're in, I mean, the broad spectrum of careers that people had where it's like you wouldn't expect that you know i mean we had lawyers in that game we had a couple of rabbis we have you know a teacher um, who was also teachers who was also a politician you know yeah 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 we um we had all sorts they really of people. did the people span the gamut you know like it, it's just become just the mainstream thing yeah and it's it's no longer like looked down on that like oh mm-hmm. I spent my weekend playing a make believe character and rolling up some dice and it, it's sort of acceptable now and uh, mm-hmm. and I think a part that ties to video games because when you think about it an RPG like Dungeons and Dragons is really not that different than a video game mm-hmm. and because video games are so part of the mainstream that the idea of playing a tabletop version of a video game isn't that weird to people. Yeah, agreed. And especially because video games kind of went through that same thing, just in a more condensed timeline of like people being like, oh, that's only for kids. Uh, You know, only lazy adults play it. And now it's becoming a thing where it's, it is now socially acceptable for adults to be like, yeah, I'm going to go home and play, you know, Fallout for a while. Yeah. I mean, and obviously in the situation we're in right now, a lot of people playing video games. I know the big one right now is Animal Crossing. Um, like everyone, like on Twitter, everyone was like, oh my God, Animal Crossing. And I'm, like, I'm like, is that a TV show on Animal Planet? I would not know anything about pop culture if it weren't for Twitter. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Animal Cro- I have not played Animal Crossing yet. Um we have a switch and right now my kids are playing animal crossing so i haven't picked it up yet i'm sure i will eventually but for the time being i'll get to that later um yeah so what's next on your list of things i've stood the test of time so another thing that i thought was really cool and and i do feel like this kind of covers the gamut of so many things is fantasy um you know uh tolkien wrote the lord of the rings how many years ago yeah Um, 50s in the 50s The 50s, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about 70 years ago, high fantasy uh, suddenly came into, you know, the mainstream and became a thing and just has persisted, you know, Um, and and it's had its dips. It's had its times where people have been like, oh, fantasy, you know, that's not a thing anymore. That's not marketable. And then Peter Jackson went and made the Lord of the Rings movies. And those were amazing. And those did help bring fantasy back into the mainstream and it's really i think held on yeah since then well i know i grew up kind of with fantasy my my father was a huge my father was a nerd my father's the reason i'm a nerd (laughs) um and he actually he was one of those nerds who actually knew some elvish um he took (laughs) he took a class in college i think on tolkien and lewis um nice because my father was a theology student they are very they were have 
they themselves are considered to be kind of Christian writers. So he was like, ah, fantasy. This obviously is good, wholesome reading material for a young pastoral student. (laughs) And um, so I just kind of grew up with Lord of the Rings as part of my background. And so, yeah, I feel like fantasy, though, was for a very long time so very niche. Like, kind of like D&D was. It was like only the nerds liked fantasy or people who like dropping acid and listening to 70s rock and roll. Um, Those are the only people who ever seem to ever like fantasy. But now it's uh, you can drop fantasy like references and people get it. Like, oh, well, Uh I need to have like my noonsies or my mid-morning breakfast. And people are like, ha ha ha, hobbits. (laughs) You know, yeah, they, they, second breakfast time, second breakfast time. Yeah, everyone gets that reference now. And because Lord of the Rings was so huge, I mean, that's how you got uh, Game of Thrones made. Game of Thrones got mm-hmm. made because they were looking to market that high fantasy story in a, a much more grounded reality. And, that, and, and say what you will about the ending of Game of Thrones, because that ending sucked. But but the ride up to that cliff before it dropped off was a hell of a ride. Um, but Game of Thrones proved that fantasy has a market that people are interested in seeing. Not It's not just for kids, that there is an adult storytelling quality to fantasy. Yeah. Well, and how many things were like undercover fantasy? Because let's be real, Star Wars was way more fantasy than science fiction. Yes. <laughs> They're all space wizards. There was only a tiny bit of sci-fi in there. It was mainly fantasy and high fantasy at that. You know, I mean, that followed the hero's journey just note by note. So how much more? I think fantasy has always just been this prolific thing because fantasy fits in at any point in time. Like sci-fi, it's kind of easier to look back and be like, well, the technology has now surpassed what was futuristic in the 50s. You know, the, the things sci-fi writers were writing about, and not all of them, because there's a lot of sci-fi that does stand the test of time. Asimov. But a lot of it is... Yes, exactly. <laughs> he was great. But then there's some other sci-fi where you're like, okay, the technology is past that. Whereas fantasy, you can look back on and, well, magic. <laughs> you yeah. know? Wave your hands. Um, Space the, magic. Exactly, yeah. So magic doesn't ever time out. And it's nice, though, that magic is fantasy is having this big kind of renaissance right now and that it's gotten way more popular. And, and I think Game of Thrones did help with that. And Harry Potter. Lot. Yeah. And Harry Potter. Yep. Lord of the Rings. You know, they have Harry Potter. Yeah, like and... all these things just. Yeah, I think Lord of the Rings kind of started it and then Harry Potter and then Game of Thrones and then all these things kind of brought. They made fantasy marketable again. And. Once something is marketable, then we get to see more of it. And, you know, like uh, the Amazon Prime show, um, Carnival Row, you know, that's straight up fantasy. Yeah, it's got a little steampunk feel to it, but it's fantasy. And that's something that probably wouldn't have got made early 2000s. No. But here it is now, and it's a thing, and it's cool, and it's good, and people watched it. I watched it. I liked it, you know. So um, I think fantasy is a one of those things that, that it'll always just be there. Well, and I think fantasy, because it is so malleable, it's a great way of being mm-hmm. able to tell a certain kind of story from a, a non-threatening perspective. I mean, perhaps in the same way Star Trek, you know, Gene Ronberry used Star Trek to talk about very 
um, topical things in a non-threatening way. Mm -hmm. Fantasy can do that in a lot of ways itself. You know, Carnival Row, for example, great Mm -hmm. way to bring up the conversation about immigration. Um, (laughs) You know, Game of Thrones had a lot of themes in it that I thought they were trying to, that were relevant and they were really trying to underscore and then season eight happened. Um, But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, do you remember the X-Men cartoon of the 90s? I mean, that was a huge critique on racism. Yeah. Um, well, X-Men know? in general is a, is a huge critique on racism, you know. Yes. So, yeah, I, I definitely, I think fantasy has its place in being able to tell stories that are fun and engaging, but also have make commentaries and observations in a way that are not necessarily mm-hmm. going to be in your face, like... Bam! Yeah. Like here, let me be moralizing right in front of you. So, but I think that's a good segue into one of the other top, <laughs> one of the other things I believe have stood the test of time. And we talk about comic book shops, but we didn't really talk about comic books themselves or the comic characters, because oh mm-hmm. my god, how comic books have stood the test of time. <laughs> I we, There was a moment there when we didn't think they would. We thought that comic books and the comic book stories were, they were dead as doornails. And yet, and yet they persist. Why is that, Mo? You're more into comic books than I am. So I think a lot of that has to do with um, the writers. The writers did go, hey, we need to figure out how to make things relevant. Let's take these characters and make them into something that people can relate to. Because if you look at, like, the original Batman, the original Superman, the original Captain America, like, yeah, they all have their place and they're fun and they're entertaining, but if those were still... If they were those same characters now, I don't think we'd be that interested in them. Yeah. You know? Um, We don't want to hear those stories. So, you know, when you have authors who are willing to kind of push the boundaries oh my god what alan moore did for batman yeah was amazing you yeah, know frank miller he was like well, yeah frank miller you know let's he's like let these writers who took these characters and went let's push the limits with them um the current thor run and oh my god i don't remember the uh writer right now i'll have to look it up but the current thor run is amazing <laughs> like they're doing some amazing things with the character um you know he's he's Thor son and and he got his arm back and then there's Galactus and now he's a Herald of Galactus and they're doing all these cool amazing things and I think that's what's helping comics to stay relevant is you know these writers who are willing to push the boundaries and be like no these characters don't need to be the same person that they were in the 40s or the 50s or the whatevers let's let them evolve and by letting them evolve that's keeping them interesting that's keeping them relevant and then the willingness to be able to bring in new characters back to into the spider-verse Miles morales is a great character he is amazing i love miles <laughs> exactly he's a great character and he's a very relevant character so while um you know people our age probably relate greatly to peter parker still you know people in their late 30s early 40s they're okay with peter parker but you know people in the younger age people you know from teenagers to the early 20s uh miles morales is their spider-man yeah I mean, you know, he's a Spider-Man. I mean, Peter Parker was a teenager of his time. Yeah, white nerdy kid from Queens. But Queens mm-hmm. doesn't look like that anymore. Queens looks like Miles Morales. And so I love the fact that there is a Miles Morales 
to take up the mm-hmm. mantle of Spider-Man to say, to really bring that idea of a superhero can be anyone. It doesn't have to yeah. be the white nerdy kid from Queens. It could be the Latino African-American kid from Queens, right? Yeah. So there's this great article about where the writers um, who did Into the Spider-Verse, uh, they did this interview and they're talking about that scene, Miles' leap of faith scene, where he, he jumps off the building and all that. And they were going to take this entirely different, um, you know, way with it they're going to kind of have him fall and do this little joke and you know try and make it funny um and they did that and they went back and watched it and they were like you know it's just it's not hitting it so they decided to have the scene that we actually saw in the movie which was amazing miles did his leap of faith and he made it and he became spider-man and yeah all of that fed into that theme that idea that that they had that persisted throughout the whole movie of you know anyone can wear the mask you can wear the mask you can be spider-man and that's I think that's a feeling that people want to have right now. Whereas in our youth, you know, some everybody wanted to be special. Yeah. You know, it, it, we, Peter Parker was special. He got some freak thing happened and he became Spider-Man. Iron Man special, you know, uh, Tony Stark is special. These people were special. Whereas now it's no, everybody can be special. Yeah. You know, Miles is special because Miles, he put in the work. He became Spider-Man. He took that leap of faith and, you know, being able to adjust like that to the themes that resonate with people. Yeah. Is I think what has kept comics more relevant, you know? That's what's kept them around is these these writers who are coming up with not just new fresh ideas, but new fresh ideas and then keeping them relevant to the feelings that people are having right now. Well, I think even beyond comic books, because while I am not an aficionado of comic book <laughs> books themselves, I have watched pretty much every comic book movie. Um, <laughs> and I will say that there has been a huge shift, just, well, in our lifetime, but even just in general, uh-huh. of how comic books are portrayed in media outside of the comic book. Like, I grew up watching the old Batman television show from the 60s, mm-hmm. you know, and the yep. pow, bang, you know, patow, you know, like the campiness of it. There was this, yes. there was this perception of comic books being, being for kids. Like kids, mm-hmm. wa- kids are the ones who read comic books. And so media portrayed comic books as this very like fantasy, kid-like, family-friendly kind of thing. And now we're seeing like... A, in the last 20 years the comic book genre of films is evolving Mm -hmm. from being comic book genre quote unquote to actually just being film like you can tell so many stories in a quote unquote comic book film and yet it is it's it's no different from maybe this film over here the only difference is the main character happens to be a superhero I think Black Panther Mm -hmm. is a prime example of this like if you took away the fact that he was that this is an imaginary country and that he is a superhero who wears a really cool cat suit, um, and just had it be like two men who were powerful, two men who have different visions of what mm-hmm. it means to be a leader and uh, and being part of a powerful group of of people in a world that is oppressed 
people, others who look like them because of the color of their skin and has done it for centuries. Like, it's those competing visions of how, what should we do about colonizing and the legacy of slavery and oppression that, you mm-hmm. know, it, it, that's an interesting conversation to have. And they had it in a quote unquote comic book film. Yeah. Well, and that goes to show the diversity of comic books. I mean, look at the, the take the MCU, for example. Um, the first Iron Man movie is, it had a, it is a story of corporate espionage. You know, um, look at, uh, you know, Winter Soldier. Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier is kind of a spy movie. It's a 70s spy um, thriller. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. You know, take uh, Thor. Thor is a high fantasy movie. Like each of these are, yes, they're quote unquote comic book movies, but they also have their own story to tell. They have their own genre to fit into. And that's something that has kept comic books so relevant is it's not just a comic book. Comic book is in a genre. Yeah. You know, comic book is a type of media and then when it gets made into movies it becomes another type of media and yeah they have some kind of superhero backdrop but so does a lot of things so do you think comic book movies are going to stand the test of time because every time i turn around i swear to god i turn on a youtube channel (laughs) and they're like this is the end of the comic book movie and i'm like you said that (coughs) you said that no offense um, after um, the Jerry Bruckheimer Batman movies, which were hot mess mm-hmm. on a stick, you said that after the end of the original Spider-Man trilogy that, that with Sam Raimi, you said that after multiple X-Men movies, and yet here we are in 2020. I mean, the biggest movie of last year was Avengers Endgame, and it nearly earned $3 billion. $3 billion. (laughs) Well, here's my hot take. Uh, Comic book book movies have stood the test of time. I mean, they've been around for a long time. Like, I think when people say the comic book movie is dying, they're looking at the current run. They're looking at, you know, the MCU, looking at the DCEU. But really, how long have comic book movies been around? Like, really think back on it. Yeah, they're taking a new form right now in these big, prolonged, connected thing that, you know, Marvel's doing. Um, But comic book movies have been a thing since... uh, God, remember that original uh, Hulk movie? Uh, The original Fantastic Four? (laughs) Well, I mean... Superman came out the uh, year after I was born. That was... Like, 78? Right? Yeah. So... Yeah, exactly. So there have always... There have been comic book movies for a very long time and that's not even counting the tv shows yeah i mean like superman had a tv show way back in the dawn of television like that's how <laughs> exactly. we had a radio show superman has been in like every form of media and no one is like you know <laughs> is superman dead well you know comic books did kill him off for a while so yeah, but then they brought him back like they always do yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean uh, my argument is they have stood the test of time so this Will the landscape change? Probably. Um, You know, I'm sure eventually the current, you know, idea we have of comic book movies will change because it'll have to. You know, things have to stay relevant. They have to stay topical with people. So, yeah, it'll probably eventually change. But uh, comic books, movies going away? I don't think so. 
Like the, at this point, you know, when we're talking about the the movies have been around since like what the six movies slash TV shows since the early sixties. We're looking at sixty years now of seventy, yeah. Some, yeah, some kind of live media. Comic books have transformed themselves for the last 60, 70 years. They're going to keep doing it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I hope so, because really, I, I would not be able to live without the MCU at this point. <laughs> I'm like, this is how I'm making it through the quarantine is rewatching like, like Avengers and Winter Soldier for the five bazillionth time. Oh. <sighs> I need to go back and watch it again. I know. I know. I saw on Twitter they were having the perennial debate because we're all stuck inside. And so we're all watching Disney Plus and we're all having the debate of like, what's what's your number one MCU movie? And like literally everyone, it didn't matter what your number one or well, your order could be different. But somewhere in that order was always Captain America, the Winter Soldier. I'm like, because that needs to be at the top, people. That movie was amazing. amazing. It was just so good. It was just so good. And and like I said, you can honestly, for a large part of it, you can take out a lot of the comic book aspects and it still holds up as a good movie, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, <laughs> you know? I, I, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So what else do you think is standing the test of time? Um, let me look at my, my list. Uh... Um, oh, there was another, here was something interesting I wanted to talk about. Um, <laughs> horror, the horror genre. Oh, I was um, on my something... list too. Yeah, something. I will not lie. I'm a big baby. I don't watch. I'm not a big horror fan. I really. I own it. I am. I. I am not a horror fan. But um. But yeah, those monster stories. I mean, those stories have been around since before the written word. Yeah, (laughs) you know. Um. So when you look at that, when yeah, we've got our Frankenstein's and our zombies and our Dracula's and our ghosts, but. Those stories were around even before then, just under different names. Yeah. Well, I mean, horror, I feel like for such a long time, horror has been like that genre that has been super niche and Mm -hmm. super underground. And I think over the years, it has slowly morphed from being like low budget to like having some serious Hollywood cachet, like... Uh, yeah. Get Out was uh, Get Out was nominated. It won the Oscars. It was nominated for Oscars, and because it had, it, it wasn't just like a horror film. It was also a horror film with its with a message, and mm-hmm. which I thought was very interesting. The Invisible Man, which just came out, um, again is another movie that has something serious to say about society that's wrapped up in a horror film. Um, I think some of our best horror stories all come out of an anxiety about society that it's trying to speak to. Um, and so I think horror over the last like 30 years has evolved from being like this like super neat, it, it, super niche kind of like 
underground type of thing. Like, ooh, I like my slasher fix and I, fl- I like my slasher fix and my Freddy Kruegers to like being some seriously good filmmaking. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm not gonna lie. Um, Jordan Peele is doing some amazing things yeah, with horror. I, I, I. I'm still like uh, so scared to watch us, but I yeah, <laughs> I I'm, I'm a big baby. Just I'm, I'm just like, oh, it's so icky now. Yeah, it's not even like the the ickiness, the squeamishness. It's the I'm a big scaredy cat. Yeah, like, yeah. I'll watch this movie and then I'm gonna have nightmares for the next like five weeks. Yeah. So. No, I was the kid who when. I accidentally saw a clip of The Exorcist when I was little, and it was because they were showing it on, like, Entertainment Tonight or something, and it gave me nightmares for months. I was, I won't tell you how old I was before I actually saw The Exorcist, and it's super embarrassing, and even when I did see it, I, there were certain scenes where I was, like, covering my eyes, like, I can't look, I can't look, and I love The Exorcist. It's a great movie, and the story's amazing, but I was like, oh, God, tell me when it's over. <laughs> okay, you want to know how bad it is, Jen? I am 37, and I've still not watched The Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> That's how big of a scaredy cat I am. I saw Friday the 13th. No, it wasn't Friday the 13th. It was Nightmare on Elm Street. I happened to watch it when I was in my 20s. And I was, and I, seriously, Freddy Krueger gave me such nightmares as a kid. <laughs> I mean, such nightmares. I couldn't look yep. at commercials of Freddy Krueger. It was how bad it was. And I finally watched it, and I laughed my ass off the entire movie. Like, the scene where Johnny Depp gets, like, <laughs> drug into the bed, and then this fountain of blood shoots up, and I'm like, oh my god, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I still haven't seen that whole movie. I've only seen clips of it. Um, <laughs> that scene I think, uh, was so over the top, like, unbelievable. I was just like, no human has that much blood in their body. Like, this is like you turn on a power hose of blood. It's just like, sploosh. I'm like, oh, my God. The last horror movie, the last horror movie that I remember watching was uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. So... <laughs> That's how many horror movies I watch. Everything else I've seen in like bits and pieces because other people have been watching it and I've like walked into the room and watched like five minutes and then I'm like, okay, I'm done. I've yeah. seen it up. I've got to go be scared now. Yeah. No, I, I admit I am not like I, I cannot watch like slasher fix. So Saw was a no go for me. Um, like Jordan Peele stuff, actually, because it's more psychological. I think mm-hmm. I can handle it a little bit more. And honestly, because of the type of stories they're telling, I, it interests me. I know one of my favorite horror films is called A Dark Song, um, mm-hmm. which is a, I, I think it's Irish. Um, it's a horror film about, uh, you think it's about all about this woman who's trying to find revenge by trying to invoke these hermetic like rituals and calling up avenging spirits but in the end you realize the entire story has been this character's journey towards um forgiveness and letting go of her need for revenge and and the ending every time makes me cry (laughs) like this is one of the most moving movies i've ever seen and it's a horror film like those kind of movies i like and i enjoy and Uh i can sit and watch them and so i think 
we're seeing horror really move from being like, ooh, slasher fic, which they'll always be slasher fics. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. There, there's always going to be people who want to see body horror and slasher and like weirdo monsters. And that's always going to be there. But I think storytelling in terms of the horror genre has evolved and that has really pushed the genre up out of being a niche genre to being like serious storytelling in Hollywood and that's helping it stand the test of time like people want to invest money in like a Blumfeld uh, film because yeah he'll make like six crap films of a year but then the other four are going to be amazing so I think it, it, if nothing else that is that that's helping horror as a genre survive yeah agreed um yeah but now we've, we've been talking about a lot of things that um are standing the test of time and some things that we kind of worry won't be standing the test of time considering <laughs> the situation we're in now is there anything you happen to see that is absolutely on the decline that you even despite corona coronavirus mm-hmm. and COVID 19 like beyond pandemics is there anything you already were seeing like as a as a fan as a nerd this is this is not gonna make it or this is on the decline um i don't know i can't let me let me think about it you got something on there well i i was looking at some of the things that we loved coming up that were just these massive giant global fandoms that mm-hmm. have fallen off precipitously since the end of their runs. Harry Potter is an example for me because I remember the heyday of Harry Potter. And like you had the, com- I went to a Harry Potter convention. Okay. I'll be honest about that. I went to, <laughs> I went to a convention in, in Las Vegas. Um, but Harry Potter was like huge. It was huger than huge. I mean, I was in Rome when the last book came out and I went to the midnight opening of the, of the bookstore close to my hotel when the book came out and like, there were thousands of people there for in Italy, in Rome for this book release in English, you know, they were like, they were all on fire for this book. And and now, and, and I feel like in recent years, especially with, you know, you had Cursed Child come out, you had the Fantastic Beast movies come out, and I feel like the quality has dropped precipitously in terms of the story, and I feel like it's a little bit on a decline, maybe. That's just me. Yeah, so I, I kind of think a lot of that has to do with um, J.K. Rowling herself, you know, uh... I'm uh, I'm a big believer in death of the author. I, I think authorial intent uh, only goes so far. Mm-hmm. You know, um, once you once you create a thing and you put it out there, everybody's free to interpret it in their own way. And it feels like the more you have a creator try and dip back in and be like, no, but I meant it like this. And no, but it's like that. The more people stop caring about your work Mm. (laughs) you know i mean you've got some authors who uh and rice you know Anne rice was famously anti-fan fiction i mean she was really 
bad about that for a long time. And then in recent years, she's kind of come around. And, you know, I really do think that helped people to continue to be interested in her work and still talk about it when she finally, like, calmed down and, and, and let people do their thing, you know? Um, so I think... I think some authors kind of shoot themselves in the foot by trying too hard um, to either stay relevant or trying to have too much control of their IP, you know. Uh, once you put something out there, people are going to love it or hate it. They're going to interpret it in their own way. They're going to have their own headcanons. They're going to go write their fan fictions. And the more you try and stop that, the less people are going to care about your work and the more likely they are I think going to be to move on to something else yeah fair I, I think that there's something to be said when an author or a creator holds a IP a little too precious because then mm -hmm. there's no room for fan interaction there's no room for engagement mm -hmm. there's no room for for new stories or change um or new ways of looking at stories uh -huh. um I will admit like I'm a giant fan fiction fan and writer <laughs> um and while there's some fan fiction that i like more than others i will be honest um if some of the joy of the fan fiction is seeing how the community engages with um with an ip and so when you have an author who holds it a little too precious or who um I know with Joe Rowling's case, she doesn't necessarily hold Harry Potter precious in terms of fan fiction. I think that <laughs> boat done sailed. No. Yeah. You know, she's just like, okay, like there's Harry Potter, Draco, slash Vic. All right. I just have to accept it. It's weird, but whatever. Um, but I mean, definitely like it is frustrating when you have a creator who just keeps coming in and going. And by the way, here's another thing. And by the way, here's another thing. And here's me. George mm -hmm. Lucas did that for a long time with Star Wars. Yep. And I, I feel Joe Rowling's doing some of the same with Harry Potter. And it's sort of like, well, we've now as fans created this whole idea of what is going on. And now you guys come and stomp on it by saying, but no, really, what this is what's happening. And it can be frustrating as a fan. Um, yeah. I think the same can be said with Game of Thrones. Like, that was, again, another IP that had this huge mess of following. And a crappy eighth season. But, um, like... I think with Game of Thrones, more their problem was that eighth season. I mean, it wasn't just the eighth season. Uh -huh. It was, there was a slow, precipitous decline. <coughs> By the time we got to the point that, um, that we were getting past the books. And then fans are over here like, okay, well, here's the things we're seeing. And here's our speculations. And, you know, that wasn't where the show went. The show was like, nope. Boom, here's all this stuff. We're not going to explain it. We're not even really going to build up to it. We're going to do nothing. So uh, here, live with it. <coughs> we know that not everyone's going to like it, but fuck it. We don't care. <laughs> and and, and right. so I feel like that has turned fans off of the that franchise, which is unfortunate mm -hmm. because you have so many other franchises where, yeah, sure, they ended. Sometimes their endings weren't even that great because let's be honest, it's very hard to stick the ending for anything. Yep. But you you have an ending that at least is satisfactory to some people, if not all people, and everyone can just move on. 
And I don't think that's what you got here. And I, I feel like that that hurt the franchise a lot in terms of retaining fans. Exactly, yeah. Well, and look at what happened with Star Wars. Um, you know, the Rise of Skywalker was, uh, it was not great. It had a lot of issues. And then I think to make matters worse, all the creators went, no, but this, no, but that. And it's like, that doesn't make your movie a good movie. If you have to go back and explain points of your movie because you didn't put it in your movie, then it wasn't a good movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like we need a whole episode on Star Wars because, boy, <laughs> oh, boy. And, I mean, that's kind of a – these nerd girls have some takes, and, they, and people are going to people are gonna at us, and I just don't care. At me. Come at me, bro. <laughs> I don't care because, yeah, I have some takes. Um, and my, and which I, I admit my takes will not be very informed because I was not a huge fan of them coming out with the new <laughs> movies, and I can honestly say I've not seen them. And the more I see the outgrowth of the of, of these movies, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm glad I didn't invest myself in that because yeah. So yeah, but that's a whole other. That'll be another episode. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I feel like some of the big popular things uh, of of our youth, like Star Wars, I feel is right now on a decline. Harry Potter's on a decline. Game of Thrones is on a decline. Um, like, there's a lot of things that have seen their day and have are not standing the test of time. I mean, admittedly, maybe there'll be a renaissance for them at some point. I don't think the Harry Potter books are going to go away. I think school kids are going to continue to read those. But yeah, and and maybe eventually they'll um, bring it back to live action and do a better job adapting those books. <laughs> well, the movies weren't terrible. They weren't, they weren't great adaptations. Yeah, I, um, some were better than others. Yeah, some were better than others. So it would it would be nice if they they brought it back and they did like maybe a TV series, a la Game of Thrones, so that way they can delve into it a little bit more. Um, you know, I know. I mean, the the major problem was is just trying to cram so much book into a movie. Yeah, you know, there's so much going on that it just it doesn't work for a movie runtime. So, and especially with the nostalgia of bringing things back, maybe that's a thing that'll happen. Um, you know, TV shows do seem to be doing better than movies. Uh, throwing it back to Star Wars, The Mandalorian is doing great. Yeah. People like it. It's had good critical reception, and the movies, not so much. So, you know, it, it does seem like TV shows are doing a lot better right now than movies. Yeah, it's true. I feel like even production quality on television has improved so much that, again, it's sort mm-hmm. of like, why am I going to spend 20 bucks to go to a movie when I could see, like, an entire story unfold week to week? on my digital yep. download and it's much more fun than seeing a really shoddy job of, of a sequel movie so yeah well and then um you know especially with streaming services i mean netflix has been putting out some great original content you know um yeah. amazon prime is putting out good original content like all these streamers are putting out good original content why spend all that money to go to a movie when there's good stuff at home yeah. that I'm already paying for. I'm already paying for. Yep. Um, so I don't know. So I thought those. I feel like those are on the decline. 
Um, I feel that there are some things from our, our childhood that are maybe fading. I say childhood, maybe more our young adulthood that are fading into <laughs> obscurity a little bit. I thought of like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or even Vampire Diaries. Not that I was huge into either one of those shows, but like those are fading into a certain level of obscurity. Like they're like, oh yeah, well, I think that old that old two thousand show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> um, I think the vampire genre is just one of those genres though that goes in and out of vogue so much. Yeah. That. Yeah, it's on the decline right now. I'm sure in like 10 years, it'll come back and we'll be like, oh my God, vampires again. <laughs> I mean, it's it's vampire all the time for me, but wait, what? Uh, <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, even like my first love ever as a fandom was X-Files. I was so mad about that show. Um, and the, even though they had the revival a couple years ago, which we don't speak of that revival because that was so many levels of awful. I can't even, but, um, like, I was like, it's kind of sad because that show was so huge and it's, it's kind of falling into obscurity a little bit. Like, People are like, oh, wait, like that was a show. Or even worse for me is when people are like, I just found this really cool old show. It's called The X-Files. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm so old. <laughs> but like, you know, there's certain shows like The West Wing, which I feel is perennially going to be for a while, at least. We'll see how the state of our politics continues. But, like, that saw a huge resurgence in recent years because of our political situation. But, like, X-Files, I'm feeling like, oh, well, I think it's going to fade into some obscurity. But I think there's, like, just certain fandoms, like, certain things that, I, that have their moment. And then they just gently fade away. Well, you know what's kind of funny now that I think about it, something that's totally just completely dying is us soap operas. The yes. daytime soap operas, you know? All my children in General Hospital, oh, One Life to, to Live. Like, Yeah. Who was it? What, the guy who used to be on, was it uh, General oh, yeah, Hospital? He, he just, just died today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, I was way into General, all my children in General Hospital when I was mm -hmm. like a teenager and... Yeah, like all those, like I remember, like those were huge in the eighties and nineties, and then, right. And Soap Opera Digest was in the grocery store. Oh yeah, <laughs> and like people would follow those hardcore, and and now like I don't think they even show those on, on regular TV anymore. Well, most of them have gotten canceled. Um, I know One Life to Live got canceled. General Hospital might have gotten canceled. Um. Yeah, a lot of them are just getting canceled. They're just not making it. I mean, TV is kind of disappearing. Yeah. You know, like regular TV that we grew up with is becoming less and less of a thing. Yeah, it's, it's true. Regular TV as we understood it. I mean, I think the procedural drama will go until the end of time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because CBS would have no television programming if they didn't have procedural dramas and like <laughs> whatever like the Belisario production company's cranking out this week um uh, but um uh, yeah those will always be a thing um yeah uh svu is 
on perpetually at my parents house <laughs> like every time i go over they've got svu on and i'm like can we please watch something else i know it's like all dick dick wolf and um Don, donald belisario it's all the tv that's ever on like normal network tv anymore <laughs> um or reality television so reality television still talk about t- standing the test of time that shit has has stood the test of time and now is even in our freaking white house but like seriously <laughs> <laughs> yeah i um i'm not a huge fan of reality Me tv either. there's a few things i watch like uh i'll watch some of the the contest shows like i like dragula um <laughs> i used to watch face off uh you know so i'll watch some of those but I don't know. Regular reality TV's never been my thing. I don't like to watch people being assholes, and that seems to be what reality yeah, TV is. Yeah, no. I mean, I watched The Real World back in the day, and then, you know, I grew up. And, uh, I tried watching American Idol, but as a singer in real life, it, that show just pissed me off on so many levels. Um, yeah. So I'm not really a fan of a lot of reality television. I, <laughs> I watched The Great British Bake Off. <laughs> I watch that too. I watch a lot of Food Network reality television. Like I'm like, yeah, exactly. Chopped. I, I will a lot of food watch network. hours of Chopped. Yeah. Well, and hey, who knew Chopped turned out to be life skills? I know, now right? We're all living in an episode of Chopped. I have like a can of baked beans, a thing of old hamburger, and uh, a, a, a tomato and a box of noodles. What can I make of this? <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, I found a Jolly Rancher. How can I use this? <laughs> what can I make out of this Jolly Rancher? Like this leftover macaroni and cheese and um, and a can of peas. <laughs> this is what I got to go with. <laughs> I would like to proudly say my pantry is a little bit better stocked than that. But um, but Yeah. <laughs> I have many friends who are like, oh, my God, I don't know how I'm going to survive this apocalypse. And I'm like, oh, Lord, guys, go watch some Food Network. Right? Hey, that's one of the good things coming out of it. People are having to learn how to cook because I have a lot of friends who were literally eating out like every day. And now they're like, well, now I've got to learn how to cook. So uh, help. (laughs) Yep. So that, Yeah. We'll make it through, guys. I swear we will. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> It'll get better. It will get better. Um. So I think to kind of close this out, like, so what are you think? What are some things that are out there that perhaps have faded off into the dust a little bit that you think are poised for a comeback? Um. I think in a roundabout way uh westerns like uh okay we're seeing some westerns come back you know look at westworld uh look at mandalorian you know um it's not the traditional clint eastwood style that you would think of um logan the (laughs) you know so yeah they're not the traditional uh clint eastwood style western you would think of but They've come back in a new way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all, it's it's an old genre that we're kind of bringing back and reskinning it. Yeah. You know, in this fresh new way and people are becoming interested again. Um, you know, I think Westworld kind of started that and then 
other creators took it and, and spun off of it and went, hey, we can do this too, but in our own fresh new way. Yeah, I mean, I had to laugh uh, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and, you know, he was in those old dad, like, westerns. I was like, oh, my God, I grew up on those. My dad loved uh-huh. westerns. I He was a huge John Wayne fan, so I grew up watching all the westerns, all of them. And so those <laughs> 60s, like, television, like, westerns were, like, my dad's sweet spot. Um, and... I, I, and I, I honestly cannot stand them, but, uh, <laughs> but you're right. You know, they, they, they're, their themes and they're, they're coming back now. Like Mandalorian is like a, it is a Western, but in a nope. Star Wars skin, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, and it, it's nice cause they're coming back in a new, uh, less sexist way. So us gals can actually enjoy them. I know. I'm right. Like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. My dad's the same. He loves the old Westerns and I'm like, I can't watch this. Like if I see them slap another lady. <laughs> oh my God. We had this whole conversation the other day about the quiet man, which the quiet man holds a special place in my heart. It's a John, if you haven't seen it, it's a John Wayne Maureen O'Hara movie from the 1940s after the war I think mm-hmm. um, it's not a western it takes place in Ireland but it's John Wayne so you might as well just call it an Irish western at that point um, and like it was, it's big on St. Patrick's Day because it takes place in Ireland and like the conversation around it was like John Wayne the way he treats Maureen O'Hara in there is just awful right and, like, he's, like, throwing her around, and he's, like, forcing a kiss on her, and he turns her over his knee. And I'm like, you know what? I have fondness for the movie because it reminds me of my dad. And, in fact, when my dad was so sick and his Alzheimer's so bad, he couldn't recognize, like, members of his own family. But he still knew the song from The Quiet Man. So, for me, that... that movie has a lot of positive connotations because it makes me think of my dad but mm-hmm. um at the same time i distinctly remember being 16 17 18 and the minute he turned her over his knee and starts spanking her i was like any man does that to me and i'm punching him in the face and my dad's all like <laughs> well you know what uh, it's to calm her down i'm like no one needs to calm me down and if they do, you talk to me like a human being. And if you try to turn me over your knee, I'll punch you in the face too. <laughs> and he was just like, I'm not going to spank you, dear. <laughs> like, I'm like, good. If man does it to me, I'll punch him in the face. He's like, you go. You go punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he, I don't think he knew what to say to that. Um, but yeah, like all these Westerns, like the old ones, I'm just sitting here like, Seriously, either you're a damsel in distress, you're a fallen soiled dove with a heart of gold, um, or you're the crazy wacko girlfriend because you want to wear pants and shoot things. Um, Right. Uh, Don't forget the evil seductress. Oh, yes. The evil seductress. I would like to see Western. Well, I would like to see Westerns just told like more historically accurately let's start with that (laughs) uh but like having those having an eye to telling a wide variety of stories you know that would be fun Mm -hmm. and interesting i think um but yeah i do appreciate like we're telling those stories in different ways i mean like if you think about like cowboy bebop 
that in many ways is a Western. Um, yeah. You know, Mandalorian, we already mentioned, so there's Westworld that is playing with the Western genre in new and different and unique ways. Um, it, it, you, it's Firefly. Firefly was a Western. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a straight up Western, um, which was amazing. It, so sad. Ended too soon. Cry, cry. <laughs> but Firefly was a straight up Western in outer space. You know, um, one can argue Star Wars in general was a was a um, Western that uh, took place in outer space. Um, Which uh, does uh, beg the question, does anything ever really go away or is it just getting constantly reskinned and this is just the same stuff that we're just saying over and over and over again? Um, I think there's an argument to be made that, yeah, nothing goes away. It's all just <laughs> rehashed and reskinned and redone over and over and over again. Um, and on that note, um, one of the things I saw that was posed poised for a comeback um was uh dune dune is supposed to be getting a oh, that's right a new major motion picture coming out this year and i'm like <laughs> dune is the most unfilmable science fiction book of all time <laughs> like they used to say like you could never film lord of the rings like and it's true i see why they said that and then they did it dune is that <laughs> one movie that one property out there i'm like Ain't nobody been able to ever do a very good movie of this. I mean, they've tried. Right. Lord knows they've tried. It's just not been good. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, I hope it's going to be good, but we'll wait and see. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, Dune, for me, this is very personal. Dune is my favorite science fiction novel of all time. I love this book. I adore this book. Uh, for someone who is a student of religion and history, this book hits on a lot of levels for me. So, um, and I'm very passionate about the a good version being done of it. I don't know if it's possible, guys. I'm going to be straight up honest because this book is, it's, it's, it's very layered. It is perhaps one mm. of the more world-buildy of the books out there. I mean, obviously, Tolkien is massively world-buildy, and Lewis is massively yeah. world-buildy. Well, Frank Herbert and Dune, massive world-building. And some of my favorite books are massive world-building, but because they're massive world-building, it sometimes makes it difficult to film. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe Dune comes out, it's great, and it's poised to make this huge comeback, and people are like, oh, my God, Dune. Or it comes out and like everything, all the other versions, it's shit. And and, and then everyone's like, <laughs> yeah, just go read the books. It's just so much better for you. Just read the books. But don't read the, think... the, the, uh, the ones with Brian Herbert and Kevin J. Anderson. I have a lot of feelings about Kevin J. Anderson and none of them good. <laughs> I think one of the things, though, that worked in the Lord of the Rings favor and that won't really help tune out so much is because of what Tolkien did to like revolutionize fantasy and bring it into the mainstream all of it became tropes and we I don't think we even think about the fact that a lot of that originated from Tolkien so the movies had the fact of they didn't have to explain elves they didn't have to explain orcs they didn't have to explain dwarves because we all know what that is even people who have never read the Lord of the Rings books they've never read Tolkien they know all these tropes because 
the Tolkien tropes have persisted so strongly. Um, whereas Dune, not enough people know it. It's not in, you know, the, the mainstream enough that you do have to explain so much of it. You know, like uh, how many people know what a Kreestax Hatterack is? You yeah. know, um, but almost everybody has some kind of idea of what an elf is. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that's what helped Lord of the Rings and is going to kind of hinder Dune a bit more. Yeah. Though everyone should know what a spice worm is, because if you don't, really? <laughs> really? But, like, yeah, I, it is true. Like, it, I think, again, we had spoken of, like, the difference between fantasy and sci-fi, and where I feel mm-hmm. Dune does not fall into the same uh, traps that many sci-fi does, because I think the technology... I don't think that technology is the problem with Dune, because... Frank Herbert kept the technology so kind of like simple blanket like Mm -hmm. you can make that technology look and feel and however you want and make it as updated as you want but definitely it's the the world building side is a little difficult like you have to explain like okay well who are the Benny Gesserits why are they important well uh why, you know, what is a mentat? Why are they important? Like, why do you have these feuding houses? Why are they fighting with each other? Um, yeah. I always felt like it It do needs to do a little bit of what Star Wars did. of like, start simple and then, then branch out into the deeper. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how it goes. It's got Timothy Chalamet in it as Paul. And, uh, you know, he's the current hot new young pretty boy. So we'll see how he does. And I don't know. We'll see. It might be poised for a comeback. I'm hoping because God, I love those stories. And I would just like one good movie, guys. Just one. Fingers crossed for you, Jenica. Fingers crossed for you. Fingers crossed. Well, I think we've kind of, we've hashed out some of the things we think have kind of stood out the test of time. And, and of course, we'll see when we come out the other side of this uh, <laughs> pandemic. I mean, obviously, we're not trying to make light of it at all. Just, you know, right now, it's hard to know what the world's going to look like in three, even three months from now. Yeah, no, totally. Like, uh, we're, we're, we're at a point of change, like one way or another shit's gonna change (laughs) yeah and it'll be interesting to see what that means for us nerds like how is the world Mm -hmm. gonna look different is now our now it's now everybody gonna be doing rpgs because if they are i'm gonna be like what is this upside down world (laughs) look uh you can never go wrong with more gaming yeah no as far as i'm concerned nah I mean, that's what I'm going to be doing all day tomorrow. It's, I'm going to be playing my mage game. So, oh, but, well, um, all right. I think that kind of wraps up our conversation for the evening. Right? Yeah. So next time we'll go on about something else for two hours. <laughs> we'll have new and different takes the next time around. Exactly. So, uh, until then, I've, uh, this is Jen. And this is Mo. And we will, uh, see you next time. And we'll have, we'll have a new take for you next time.